Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler here again with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. I am joined by my frequent and always co-host, Brooke Gillen, and our special guest who's been on this podcast a number of times now, Mike Brooks, who handles our fixed income lending and cash reinvestment for the company. How are you guys doing? Good. We're recording this on a Friday, so... I only worked a few days this week, so a short week for me, so I can't complain. Out at the Ryder Cup, it's not a bad gig. Wasn't a bad gig at all. (laughs) So Mike, I know oftentimes fixed income gets short shrift. We focus on the equity guys, but fixed income is a different animal and year end and quarter ends are big topics. So we just finished Q3. Maybe take us through any dynamics that are worth touching on for the Q3 quarter end and maybe thoughts as we go towards year end. And before you do that, Mike, I have to acknowledge, because I haven't said this to you since yesterday, that we had a client meeting yesterday where you obviously were involved, as was Jim Maroney, who heads up trading on the equity and the corporate bond side. And Jim relented the first update to you, commenting that quarter end is the only time where there's anything of excitement to talk about in the fixed income space. And it's sort of your Super Bowl or playoff date. So I wanted to first maybe ask, do you think that was a fair description by Mr. Maroney or not? No, I think Mr. Maroney just didn't have anything to touch on. So he was trying to filibuster a bit. I agree with you. All right, good. Well, I don't think Jim listens to these, so we'll have to have his buddies give him a hard time about that. But anyway, back to you, Peter. All right. Thanks, Brooke. You threw me off my game a little bit, but I already asked Mike the question. So give us yeah. some color on quarter end and then your thoughts as we look ahead towards year end this year. Yeah, I can touch on quarter three here. So it kind of went in the same pattern the last four or five where there's just the abundance of liquidity in the market and the flat repo curve and larger dealer balance sheets kept our large GC programs, especially balances that we have large open positions, basically status quo. There was definitely a little bit more activity from different desks. I think we were shut off a little earlier from some of our collateral borrows from different dealers, pared down more than we have been the last few quarter ends. But even though this dynamic did occur with some dealers, we had others open up and we were able to keep everyone flat. I think what we're looking at now is looking at quarter four, year end, and some of the greater macro factors out there, things like the debt limit resolution, the start tapering, some of the GSIB constraints and kind of how that is going to affect financing over the turn. I mean, very little volume has gone through as of right now. It's a 20 bid, 10 offer market right now. It's hard to get a quote and not much has gone through. So I still think we are in a price discovery mode these next few trading sessions. I think as we have investors reach for financing into January, into February, expectation is some of the fast money clients, hedge funds probably particularly, will lead the charge there and help us frame the market a little better. So I think maybe if we do one of these, maybe in early November, we'll have a better indication of some of our year-end type dynamics. And Mike, do you still think we're a long ways off from the return to some sort of spread opportunity in the short end space where fiscal policy still remains and where the Fed is? I mean, do you still see that not happening in the early part of next year and the longer term? Yeah, I think the early part of next year, it would be definitely on the optimistic side. I think the dot plots at the FOMC meeting, where you're kind of looking at the path of interest rates for monetary policy, I think we're now looking at a 50% chance of a hike in 2022, with now two hikes in 2023 and three in 2024, I believe is the path at the moment. So and early next year, more of a quarter one, quarter two dynamic, I still feel like we're going to be in a cash dominates the market and supply demand dynamic that is totally in 
favor of issuers in too much demand chasing too few supply. But I think the movement up of the interest rate path is definitely a good sign for kind of spreads widening in the nearer term future rather than the latter. And I think you're seeing this a little bit too with kind of LIBOR jumps of late and only a two basis points or so, but it's nice to start seeing a little curve built back into that. And you are seeing in the short-term market as well. Unfortunately, you have to go out probably 12 to 18 months, maybe even a little longer to start seeing some real relative value there. But there are widenings happening kind of week over weeks now on the front end where we spent a lot of time in an environment where week over week we were tightening and tightening tightening. Spreads were compressing. It was getting harder and harder for us to find spread in this market. So Mike, let me take you to a different topic, which is lending treasuries. Can you touch on in the market today where we see specials, which on the run issues, maybe what's driving that? I know sometimes or often it's corporate bond issuance and the hedge on the other side. Maybe touch on where the specials are, what's driving it, and then maybe just a general comment on, on GC. Yeah, of course. So the main specials continue to be in the single issues of the on the run. So those are the first month when typically it's the you know the fives, the tens, and the thirties are issued, and a lot of these are driven by, as you said, the short base and corporate bond hedging and some of the curb steepener to trades. So they play out out in the outright yields market as well. And there has been a large short base of late in these issues. And they have had a scarcity bid through GC, trade in negative, but what's preventing it from really trading into some of these deep, you know, rich levels that we've seen in the past is just the large SOMA positions and the borrows at SOMA. And with only a few issues trading special, all the SOMA borrowing is getting really targeted in only a few single issues, which is really just giving borrowers multiple outlets to cover their shorts. So while the short base remains strong, off of kind of typical technical factors here, just the supply is still preventing these from really trading into some of the deeper territories that we've talked about maybe in the past. What kind of spreads are we talking about for specials these days and some of these issues? I still think a lot of the value would be is first it cycle a one month term trade. And right now we're probably seeing 15, 20 basis points through GC in those markets. Probably last month, maybe upwards of riches, 50 bips for a month. But remember, we were probably six months ago trading tens to the date somewhere around fails levels, right? They were traded all the way down in the, in the neg 300 basis point range. And I remember we were having this conversation and there was just a huge scarcity for them and, and dealers trying to cover them wherever they could. So that dynamic is not there right now. And I do think a lot of it just has to do with outright treasury market and the volatility that's going on there, as well as some of the large options to borrow it from the Fed just that, that cover positions at cheaper funding levels. Right. And I think it's always interesting for our viewers, the fixed income or at least treasury lending market has very small spreads when you compare it to the equity yeah. space, but they also have much higher utilization, right? So often we can get upwards in our program, upwards of 90% of a treasury okay. portfolio on loan when many competitors in our space are in the 30 to 50% range. So small spreads, big utilization can be meaningful contribution. But Peter, just question. for our listeners, there's a good yeah. reason for that oftentimes and that some of our competitors, because of the regulatory nature, might be somewhat self-limited on what they would put out versus it's a desire to have greater utilization versus a can and can't, probably. Yep. Mike, another question for you is what types of trades to get GC out there? Because GC is highly dependent on what you're doing on the collateral side, right? So what types of trades do you see enabling people to kind of optimize GC? 
We're seeing both cash and non-cash trades as we've had a few calls prior and we were talking about 90% utilization in some portfolios. A lot of that was done versus cash. You know, dealers are still on cash and willing to lend and collateral in general is scarce. So they're, they're willing to waive it in, in all sorts of structures. We do most of our programs and combination of overnights and then all the way out to six month term. We're still seeing this in high demand, although utilizations are probably not at that 90% level right now. That is not a dynamic of GC not being in demand. It's more of a dynamic of cash loans and what to do with those cash loans and trying to meet certain spread hurdles in order to push out those GC levels. We've actually had a few months of GC where we traded probably unchanged levels month over month and our overnights were trading right on top of term. And term was as flat as can be. And, and the only variation you saw outside of those bids were for any financing that you're trying to get over year end. And as I talked about a couple of minutes ago, is we're still going through a price discovery mode for the turn here. So different dealers will price in different premiums and different costs of sheet to get over year end, depending on their view internally on the market. So I do think we're also trying to push now more into non-cash space, trying to keep utilizations high while also eliminating the reinvestment risk and try not to worry about the lack of supply issuance out there in the commercial paper or corporate bond issuance space that is having so many investors not have a place to park cash. So the trades we're seeing there, typically those are term trades as well, taking collateral swap trades and taking you know sovereigns, whether it's CAD provincials, EGBs, JGBs is a popular one that we've done a lot even taking equities back in. And for those who can do it, corporate bonds taking it as collateral is a big trade as well. And these trades typically pick up juice when the FX swap markets widen a bit and there's a little funding pressure built in over year end. We've gone through a few months of this where those have been tightening and tightening as well. So we have had some trades come off just due to different spread hurdle limits. But if you're starting to get some quotes now for a three-month trades or 90-day evergreen type structures that are usually more suitable from the borrower base. And we are seeing a little value start seeping back into those trades. And so that's something we'll definitely be focusing on the next quarter here. And the comment you make about term is interesting because in the equity space, right, almost all of the transactions are going to be overnight, one day type loans. And in the treasury lending space, the term component is really important, right? The yep. ability to do that. And I think what's interesting is people often don't know that you can also have rights of substitution, right? So it doesn't put any real restraints on your portfolio other than holding that asset class. Is that right? Yeah. So the liquidity profile, the only way it really changes is if the underlying portfolio was going to go through a whole strategy change and totally reallocate out of treasuries as a whole. GC collateral, many dealers just see it as GC collateral. We do try to you know, swap a bond with a similar maturity or similar price dynamic to try and just match up more of money and kind of keep our credit limits the same from a borrower perspective. But for whatever reason, if we were unable to do that, it would not kill the trade. They would still waive in the bond that we had. But you're right, the liquidity profile is only altered if there's a, a total shift in underlying strategy for the fund. And Brooke, do you have any thoughts for clients? Do all of our clients lend treasuries actively? Is it based on kind of strategy and risk profile? Or where is the client base on this asset class? Good question, Peter. It's definitely varied. So we have a number of clients that do very actively lend their treasury assets, but just as equally, we have a lot of clients that take a risk averse view to lending treasury assets, or perhaps only look to lend them only specials opportunities, or they're not lending them with any volume or doing GC treasury lending. So it really depends upon sort of risk profile of the lender 
But a lot of that is also closely tied to their collateral profile and the risk that they are willing to take on the collateral side. So whether they are taking cash primarily, what is their appetite to take reinvestment risk, and whether they're limiting themselves to a government profile of reinvestment. There's not a lot of opportunity to trade their treasuries in those instances. If they're taking on a greater amount of risk in terms of the reinvestment guidelines, then you might see more treasury lending occur there. But oftentimes, even for clients that do allow it, they tend to take a very involved, at least ours do, a very involved approach to the program. A lot of our clients that are active in that space, some are trading their treasuries directly, some are reinvesting their cash directly, some are using us to do both of those two functions, but have a very involved role with us in terms of approving trades, especially approving term trades before those are done. So it runs the gamut, I guess, but we we definitely see both. And some of it too is depending upon what their experience was as a lender during the credit crisis, I think still informs what their decision-making is on the treasury side. But the one other trend I would say is, because a lot of what I just spoke about was sort of cash-driven collateral trading on the treasury side, but what we are probably seeing more of now going forward, two trends. One is just more lenders being open-minded to the collateral trades that Mike was referencing in terms of accepting in non-cash, whether it be sovereigns or other potentially even as far out as equities indemnified for treasury trading. But also we're seeing more and more lenders look to each other as counterparts in the treasury space. Peter, you know well that peer-to-peer trading is an ever-increasing area in SEC finance. And what we're seeing a lot of in terms of where the increases are being felt is oftentimes in the GC space and the types of trades that maybe dealers are less interested to do that might have greater balance sheet implications or, you know, that might need to pare down as Mike's talking about over reporting cycles. So we're seeing, again, peer lenders, so a pension fund to another pension fund that might have different leverage or liquidity or financing interests to lend or borrow from one another and oftentimes are are pretty active in the treasury space. So I think that is a change in the past couple of years that probably will continue to increase in size and scope, at least for the lenders that we tend to work with. Thanks. Let me just add another comment, which is I think a lot of people look at treasuries as a reservoir for liquidity. Right. Some people hold them back and don't lend them because they want to lend them to get liquidity in a crisis, whereas other people will actively lend them just for liquidity, not to put it back into a cash collateral profile or to take non-cash, but to take liquidity and use it on a short-term basis for other purposes. Do you, yeah, you want no, to comment and, on that at all? About Yeah. So I guess maybe that would have been a third trend that I should have spoken about. So absolutely. We're seeing that too. You know, not all of our clients, but we absolutely are supporting a number of clients that again are using not just treasury assets, but oftentimes treasury assets because it's a very easy source of funding to supply liquidity for their broader plan purposes. And they're using treasury lending as a way to integrate liquidity planning or collateral planning slash even leverage needs that they might have in their organization. So they might employ leverage in different areas of their organization. And maybe there have been obtaining that leverage through traditional financing sources, bank loans, et cetera. And what they're looking at is alternative ways to diversify their financing sources. And one of those ways is through securities lending or through financing treasuries and raising cash and using that cash to support other plan investments. So it's interesting. And I think that trend will also continue as people think about lending in a more sophisticated way and realize that 
as long as they're taking a very active approach and they have the necessary controls in place that they can integrate their securities lending activities alongside their other investment strategies. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think using your treasuries as a liquidity tool makes your SEC lending program that much more useful to the overall organization. And you're getting funding often at much less expensive levels than your alternatives. So it's another thing to look at for lenders for sure. I just have one question, Mike. I was thinking about it earlier. How much is the looming debt ceiling sort of potential crisis at all impacting the financing markets? Are the financing markets sort of acting efficiently and seamlessly today as though that's not going to be a problem? I mean, is it that yeah, sort of an answer? There's been a precedent on this in the past. You know, we've had a, a few debt limit resolutions that have kind of taken a while or last minute type resolutions. So typically the run up to it, we actually start seeing more pressure, downward pressure in the market because the treasury is trying to shed their TGA, it's called treasury general account. So they're trying to get to a number that is lower to meet debt limit kind of expectations. So that pushes more reserves back into the market. So that's kind of one of the functions of the GC market currently is that is one of the dynamics adding to pressure. If we get into October and November, and this is still a looming issue, we are expected to see an onslaught of treasury supply post debt limit resolution. But in a typical market, I feel like this would you know, cause some elevation in overnight and maybe see bids start being hit at higher levels. But right now we still have about 1.4, 1.5 billion of basically idle cash that is sitting at the reverse repo facility. So I think in that dynamic, you would start seeing Maybe some of that cash start chasing some of these new bill assets, maybe levels a little bit above RRP. So you'll start seeing the utilization in, in the facility decrease. But you'll see plenty of cash return to the market to kind of offset some of this supply. So it is something that is headline news. It's in the conversation daily, but I think you put it nicely that you know the markets are still operating efficiently and we're, we're not seeing too much of a pricing or any bumps in the curve there. I think any widening and elevation in, in term markets specifically is a combination of so price discoveries, I said, in, in year end, as well as just possible tapering starting as well, which you know, just pulls reserves out, out of the market. That's great. Thanks, Mike. Great. Thanks, Mike. All right. I think we're at time here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brooke. And hopefully people got some sense of where things are in the treasury and the short end markets. It's an area that deserves focus. There's a specials market. There's a GC market. Your utilization of different agents will depend on who that agent is. So pay attention to that. We actually have some great benchmarking on our treasury performance. So if you want to see that, let us know. And there's some really good alternative things to do with your treasuries, whether it's peer-to-peer, as Brooke mentioned, using it as liquidity. So there's a lot to talk about. And hopefully we didn't go too long to lose your attention. So anyway, everyone, have a great day. Stay safe and sane. And we look forward to talking to you again on our next podcast. Great. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys.